Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And before we dive into this Wednesday edition of the mailbag, I want to remind you guys right now that we are currently offering 50% off an annual Duck Territory VIP membership. 50% off gets you into the door, into the site, uh, read all our VIP content, be part of the conversation on our message board, which is... Uh, very, uh, very quickly growing and expanding. And we've got a good group of people on the site as well. So come join our Oregon Duck football, Oregon Duck recruiting, Oregon Duck basketball, just Oregon Duck fan community uh, on DuckTerritory.com. All right, uh, Eric, we've got six questions. It's mailbag day. So I, I have a sneaking suspicion. We're in the thick of the football season. A lot of the attention is going to be on this game this weekend. And a lot of attention on just kind of, overall landscape of this Oregon football program. Yeah, we're going to start here with something that isn't necessarily focused on this weekend's game as much as it is like a broader picture. And I love this question. It feels very timely considering who the head coach of the opposing team is. So the first question from at Tim Stege 12, I love the Chip Kelly led duck teams, but even in the middle of that success, it's never seemed sustainable long-term. Do you think the Ducks would have maintained success if Chip had stayed, or is the program on a better trajectory now under Mario? Hashtag odds and audibles. Thank you, Tim, for using the hashtag. Um, well, one thing here just to start, like, and it would have been difficult for Chip to stick around, period, given kind of some of the issues that the NCAA was enforcing. Um, a show cause penalty came down um, as he took the NFL job. So I think the timing of that is like, you know, sort of, sort of important to acknowledge. Now, if we just removed that from the equation and just said nothing, there was no ill, there were no other issues other than just football. Then I, I think Chip Kelly would have had a lot of success at Oregon. And I, I'm going to say this, I, I wouldn't, I would say they probably would have won a national championship with Chip Kelly as the head coach and Marcus Mariota as the quarterback. I don't think that's like an outlandish thing to say. I will also say it's been kind of interesting seeing how the rest of the country has adopted a lot of the same principles that Chip kind of innovated and implemented at Oregon early on and how he's had to kind of really change what he's done. Yeah. And the success that he's had from an offensive perspective has not been since, you know, even in the NFL, they had a couple moments there in Philly, didn't have hardly any success in San Francisco. UCLA has been, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't want to jinx it because Oregon plays in this weekend, but they haven't been particularly consistent or impressive. I think it's it's not even close to what they were envisioning when they hired him. Exactly, and so like I look at Chip Kelly, and I feel like I think in the short term, from the couple of years after he left, and Mark Crawford was the coach for those seasons, like Oregon would have been better during that time period. I'm pretty confident in that, and they would have gotten they would have maximized the Marcus Mariota era. Even more, and and we say that knowing that Oregon hardly lost any games with Mariota as quarterback, while Huffert was there, but part of me thinks that there's a pretty good chance that things would have gotten pretty ugly, probably around the same time as that got ugly for Helfrich. And I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon would have been out looking for a new head coach, 2018, 2019, right around now, because Chip's time kind of would have fallen off and you would be looking at a program that would have stagnated because from a recruiting perspective that wasn't something ship ever really prioritized and from like i just said from an offensive perspective and like a innovation perspective the rest of the country's kind of caught up and i mean you think about it this way like i just remember when 
the no huddle tempo offense that spread stuff. The SEC, all those coaches were like, oh, this, is, this isn't football. This is ruining the game. Well, now you look at what they're doing down there, and they're doing all the same stuff. And so yep. to me, it's like I don't know how long-term it would have been this kind of like incredible, unstoppable force. In fact, I think they would have, like I said, probably done really well for a few years after he left if he would have stuck around. And then we probably would be in a similar situation shortly afterwards. And I think where Mario Cristobal has had the, pro- the, the, the program headed, to me, feels a lot more sustainable long-term. Uh, Chip Kelly, in his first six seasons as head coach of the Oregon Ducks and also the uh, Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL, he lost 19 games in those six seasons. In the six years that have followed or I guess the five years, I should say, the five years that have followed as him as head coach, one in Philadelphia when he was fired, one in San Francisco, and now two full seasons with the Bruins and two games into his third season. So that five and a half years, he has only won 15, uh, uh, 16 games. Oof. I mean, he's 16 and 41 in the last four and a half seasons if you want to count this year as a half of a year um he's been basically fired from two pre- his two previous stops philadelphia and then uh in san francisco um i'm with you like i i think 2013 2014 probably 2015 for oregon football um i i think they would have been at a really high level um yeah, no they probably would have remained in that college football playoff championship game in 2014 with Marcus Mariota. Um, 2013, they probably have a better year than they did. I, I, I would think. Um, 2015, I think they probably would have a better year than what they did. Um, but I also don't think like, to the 2016 season, 17 season, 18, whatever you want to, you know, run through all those years. Like, I also don't think they'd be going three and nine like he did his first year at UCLA or four and eight like he did uh, last year for the Bruins. But I, I don't think, like, you, you made a good point. Like, everyone else is kind of caught up to what they've been doing. And he hasn't adapted really well, you know, now that college football and, you know, at the time the NFL we're able to kind of adapt and look at what he did. So I don't know if like, I have a hard time saying like Oregon's on a better trajectory right now under Mario Cristobal than they were under Chip Kelly, because under Kelly's four years, like golden age of Oregon football. Absolutely. Like 10 and three, 12 and one, 12 and two, 12 and one. Uh, they tied for first or one first outright in the Pac-12 every single year. They played in two Rose Bowls. They won a Rose Bowl. They won a Fiesta Bowl. They played a national championship game. Uh, they went undefeated in the regular season in one game. And it's like, I think Crystal Ball is going to be able to get Oregon to a point where they're always consistently finishing in the top 10 in the country, where they're always going to be tied for first or winning uh, their division, let alone you know winning conference championships. Um but we've only seen him do it once. Now, granted, it's, this is his third year, and it looks like in 2020 that they're, you know, in my eyes, above and beyond 
everybody else in the conference. Um, you know, so we could be seeing a, a, a second straight league championship for Oregon. It's two weeks in, but nonetheless, that they're the early favorites. Um, but if you ask me this question after the 2021 season, and let's just assume 2021 is a normal year, um, I wouldn't be surprised if I flipped my answer and said Oregon's trajectory under Crystal Ball is a heck of a lot better than it was under Chris, under Chip Kelly. Uh, this is kind of speculative, Matt, but I'm just like spitballing here because I actually think maybe I believe this, that if Chip Kelly was still the coach of Oregon in 2020, just given the way things look like they were headed, I don't know if they're as good as they are now. Like, is that crazy to say? Like, I think right, like where they are in 2020, they're probably slightly better off under Mario Cristobal. I'm not trying to compare who they are as coaches because they're super different. Like, in, in like, there's really hardly any comparisons in terms of who they are as people, coaches, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Like, they're very, very different. But like, I kind of just think where Oregon is at in 2020, I think it would have been hard to sustain. And again, there's eight years. <laughs> there's eight. Chip Kelly hasn't been head coach of Oregon since 2012. It's like a really long time here to even like try to project what the future would have been from 2013 to now. But like I look at it and think like I wouldn't be surprised at all if if like in an alternate reality in a you know different universe right now if let's say Chip Kelly stays at Oregon all the way through now if Oregon is kind of is good because I don't think they would have been like I don't think they were ever going to get terrible but like that they're not quite at this level because they're not recruiting at this level they like in like the landscape of the college football has changed they're no longer you know the flashy new thing and and maybe Chip Kelly had he stayed here really long would have found different innovative ways to become different and to kind of maintain this stuff. But I, part of me thinks it's not crazy to say, like, if we just were to look at it and say, okay, let's say Chip Kelly was Oregon's coach from 2009 to 2020. It's a long time that by this point in time, things, the wheels would have, not the wheels would have fallen up, but things would not be quite as good as they were over that four year stretch. Do you think that's at least kind of a fair suggestion? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, Fair. I mean, we all know Chip Kelly did not like to recruit, and you know he was very uh, how how do you say it? Like he 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 was very selective of of who he would really just dive all in on from from a recruiting perspective. And you know they were doing some innovative things when he was here at Oregon as head coach, but at the same time, like. Flashback to 2011 or 2010, and Oregon's facilities were above and beyond. Oregon's uniforms were above and beyond. And go up a decade now to where we are currently, everyone has uniforms. Everyone has sweet shoes. Everyone has sweet gloves. And everyone has the iced out helmets. And everyone has elite facilities. And so, like, that's all important, but it's all kind of like one of those, like, you just have to have that stuff. Like that doesn't separate you anymore. Like it really takes uh, to go above and beyond um, from a facilities or a uniform or a helmet standpoint to really stand out above everybody else. Now, Oregon does because they've been at the forefront of that arms race for a very long time. Um, and in 2020 recruiting has changed. It's, it's, what are you doing with these edits and, what are you doing in terms of, you know, social media marketing and what are you doing with branding and building brands for, for your athletes? And what are you doing, uh, you know, from an exposure standpoint and obviously winning is the most important thing of all, and that will never change. But yeah, I, 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 I think Oregon is doing some of the, the newer things 
significantly better than what Chip Kelly is doing in those same areas right now? Certainly an interesting question and a lot of like hypotheticals and in this, in this question, but like, I think it's a cool way to start and just kind of open up what's going to be a week where we're talking about Oregon and UCLA and Chip Kelly. And this is the second time he'll be coming to Ots and Oregon won the first game pretty handily in 2018. I think we'll talk about this on our prediction show. And I'm sure when we get somebody from the UCLA side on later this week, but I think there's a pretty good chance Oregon beats UCLA on Saturday and, and Chip Kelly is now 0-2 against his former school. Second question from Jeremy one time. I know there are still a lot of games left, but do you think this team can win a playoff game against one of the top three teams? Hashtag Otsnotables. Currently, the top three teams being Alabama, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. None of those teams have lost yet. Ohio State, of course, has played. It's kind of funny. I just pulled up the rankings here. Alabama's played six games they haven't lost. Notre Dame's played eight games they haven't lost. And Ohio State's played three games and they haven't lost. So just a spect- quite the spectrum in terms of the number of games played as we would expect. But I'll toss this to you, Matt. Like, what do you think? What do you think Oregon's chances are to take a game off of no. one of the – oh, okay. Very no. quick. <laughs> like, I, I, I do not think um, if they had to play Notre Dame, if they had to play Alabama, if they had to play Ohio State, if they had to play Clemson, um, they would beat any of those four teams. Maybe if they played ten times and they, they would probably win two or three of those games. Um, right now, I think Oregon's defense is leaking a little bit too much. And look, that's not a that's that's maybe not the right way to, to put it, but they're not as dominant as those other teams are. And those other teams have a hell of a lot better of an offense than Oregon has seen in two games to start the year. Um, I think Oregon's offense. Up front offensive line is very impressive. I think Tyler Shuck is very impressive. I think the running backs are very impressive, but I don't think the type of plays that we've seen from the receiving core make some of these spectacular catches could be made against elite defenses that, that those teams would deploy. Um, they have special athletes at the quarterback spot. And, you know, I just think that they're better situated now. Like Oregon could certainly continue to improve and get there. Um, but I, I just, I don't think right now if they had to play each other, uh, I, I would have a hard time picking Oregon to win one of those games against, you know, the, the four or five best teams in the country from a ranking perspective. Now, if, if we're sitting here and we're talking like, okay, BYU or Cincinnati, um, you know, some of these other teams that are in the top 25, top 10 rankings that aren't like the traditional blue bloods of Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio state and Clemson. Yeah, give, give me Oregon versus Wisconsin. Give me Oregon versus Indiana. Give me Oregon versus BYU. Give me Oregon versus Cincinnati. And probably give me Oregon versus Texas A&M and, and versus Florida. I, I, I think there's a big difference between one through four and the rest of the country. And I think Oregon's probably going to be at the top tier of that second group. I, I agree with you, honestly. And, and part of it here is, as he even suggests here, a lot of games left. Like, the sample size is so small. It's really hard for me to, like, draw any conclusions about how they would compete against the top teams in the, pro- in the country. I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, they won handily against Stanford, but Stanford isn't very good, I don't think. I mean, they just got beat by Colorado at home. Washington State 
they beat Oregon State, and I think they're going to be competitive, but they're not anywhere near this level. And that was a game that Oregon needed to really rally in the second half. And of course, they made a lot of penalty, you know, a lot of mistakes to get there. And so, like, part of me is like, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if Oregon doesn't play in the playoff this year and they go and they win a, I don't know what bowl game they'd be in if, if they were right in the fringe there, maybe the Rose Bowl again. But if they go and they play in the Lesser Bowl, dominate that, and then they set themselves up in 2021, because we have to remember that, and Chris, Cristobal has reminded us multiple times, this is the youngest team in the country. They will lose some players after 2020. But for the most part, this team is going to be like almost fully intact in 2021. So part of me thinks like maybe it's not the worst thing to get some momentum this season in the postseason, especially in a year where it's super wonky. And then going to 2021, we we're hoping and expecting it to be a complete year. And then they can really contend and compete. I think that's always kind of how we looked at this anyway, even if this was a normal season of like 2020 is going to be kind of a building year. There's a lot of parts in motion, lost a ton of players after 2019. 2021 is really the year to look at. That's kind of the way I still feel. And I know it's kind of unfair because we're two games in, but I, part of me, I'm with you, Matt. Like, I don't know if I think it's the best case scenario for them to go out and play. And frankly, they'd be the four seed, but they're not going to be better than that. And right. if that's Alabama, is it, is it super fun for Oregon to go out? And is it great for the perception of the Pac-12 for Oregon to go out and lose 59 to 21 to Alabama in a first round of the playoffs? I don't know. I think maybe it's better to go out and, and win a Rose Bowl or, or whatever other bowl game they'd be in. You know, like I go back and forth on that. I typically side with, hey, let's just win a Rose Bowl. Let, let's continue to extend. Let's continue to end seasons on a positive note. But at the same time, like Oklahoma has made the college football playoff like what, three of the last four years and got boat raced in every single semifinal. And yet every single preseason because they make the playoff the previous year, they're talked up as this team that's going to contend for a college football championship. And, and so maybe it doesn't really matter what you do in the college football playoff. Maybe it's literally just get there and say that you were there. You were one of the four teams because as long as you bring back a good amount of, of pieces to that next season, you know, people are going to go, Oh, well, you know, they made the playoff last year. They bring a lot of act from that team. They're going to be really good again. They're going to be a, one of the main contenders going into a year. And, and so I, I think there's benefits of both sides. Um, you know, I, I do think and this is from just the narrative of the Pac-12 compared to the narrative of an Oklahoma yeah. is the, the Pac-12 goes to the playoff. And if they're not competitive, it, it's almost like it's like two losses compared to other conferences going into the playoff and not being competitive in that situation. And that's just because over the last 10, 15 years, the conference as a whole has not been competitive in really big games in, in non-conference or bowl or playoff games. Like they just haven't been. And, and while we all know the big 12 typically every year, takes a big drop off after Oklahoma, you know, the Sooners do go and, and they, they win their big non-conference games every year. And they typically, you know, win their bowl games or if they, they, or they make the college football playoff and they get blasted. So like, I, I don't know. I got part of me says get to the playoff and just roll with whatever you're dealt because you can at least say you're there. Part of me also sees the benefit of what happened last year for Oregon and making the Rose bowl and winning that game and how much, you know, positive momentum that carried over into the off season 
which then carried over into the current year that we're playing out right now. All fair points. I'm with you, though, Matt, in terms of the perception of the Pac-12. It's almost like the national media is excited when the Pac-12 doesn't do well because it furthers the narrative that they can't compete. And, like, you go back and look at it, it's not like the Pac-12 has performed terribly when they've been in the playoff. I mean, Oregon destroyed Florida State. I mean, that's I think it remains one of the most lopsided yep. semifinal games in the history of the college football playoff. The game against Ohio State, it looks a little worse than it was because Urban Meyer punched a touchdown in in the last, like, what, a minute and a half of that game. And then Washington against Alabama, even that game, it's 24 to 7. It's not like it was 48 to 7. Um, and so, I mean, part of me thinks that the, 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 they're, they're, that the national media perception is kind of unfair considering that Oklahoma, like you said, I don't have all the games pulled up in front of me, but my recollection is those games were a heck of a lot less competitive yes. than what we're discussing. So, um, but, that, but, I, but that's kind of why I'm guarding against it of like, it almost feels like the more ammunition you give the national perspective of the Pac-12 can't hang. And if Oregon were to go out and just get boat raced, like part of me thinks that that, that would hurt more. Um, because people naturally just don't respect the Pac-12. I still remember, I mean, Oregon outplayed Auburn for the entire game there and really yeah. should have won that game. And I think it was their running back afterwards was like, we weren't about to lose to a Pac-12 team. I'm kind of going like, what the heck does that even mean? Like, <laughs> Oregon's a really competitive roster. You're looking like you compare their roster to your roster. It's not like this is a JV club, but that sort of seems like it's... That's the perception of it nationally. And that's why the league, look, in the worst way... We all joke about how it's best for the conference if USC's down. Every coach in the Pac-12 wants Clay Helton extended every single year because it makes their jobs easier. But in the reality of it, the conference needs USC to be lockstep with Oregon. You know, they they need to have their their marquee blue blood program, the USC Trojans, as a top ten, top fifteen team every year consistently. And they need them to they need them to be able to go out and win these big games. Like when USC goes and, and plays Alabama and they got stomped, yeah, like like that hurts. And yes, Washington can can be good and that, that will help the league. And yes, Stanford can be good and that will help the league. And yes, ASU, you know, under Herm Edwards could make a jump and that could be good, or Utah be good under Kyle Willingham. But none of those teams carry the the, the cachet that or that USC does. None of them. And honestly, like, I think Oregon is probably, if you look at the general population right now, Oregon is probably the more popular team in the Pac-12. Agreed. Out of everybody. But I think if you went and you, and you got a blind test and true serum from the college football committee and said, what team – if every team had their best year, who would you automatic? Who would you say is the, is the marquee team in the Pac-12? And I think the people that pick the pack, the college football playoff, their 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 biases and their just their, their their age demographic, they would naturally, I think, gravitate to USC because they're all older. And and this is way down the rabbit hole here, but like that's why you need USC to be good because the people that are in this decision making process of of creating the playoff. Like they look, they look at all the games and, and they break down all the film and and they do a really good job of finding the best teams. But we're all human, and when they see oh USC's good, oh well, look at Oregon. They you know USC beat this you know this team by this team and this team. 
by an impressive margin, but Oregon, they did even better than that. Like they're going to make a big deal out of that and just because they're human and they're, they're, their recollection of USC of old always being really good. Like that's going to matter more. It's just why you're called a blue blood. Great points, dude. I don't have much to argue with on that. I, I think, and I think if you're an Oregon fan objectively right now, you want USC to be good. You want them to win their games because the best you case need them scenario to win their for, games. If you want to make the playoff this year, as I say, the best case scenario for Oregon basically every year is that USC and Oregon meet in the back 12 conference championship game. And USC matters enough that that win is impactful and that hasn't been the case like Oregon hasn't I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right on this Oregon hasn't played USC in a conference championship game right um right and so it's like that, that needs to that, that that would be I think that's the kind of scenario that Oregon really needs to take that step and, and ensure they're in the college football playoff conversation um, as we would normally do on this mailbag podcast we've like deviated completely from the original question but i think <laughs> and i kind of i'm kind of blanking on what it was originally anyway at this point but uh, i think that was it i think that was interesting i don't know i enjoyed that conversation uh let's jump here to the third question before the break from at johnny the k i haven't been impressed with the performance of our d so far this season what will it take to play up to its potential what will it take for it to play up to its potential well, I think you're not alone in that. And that was part of Matt's point earlier here. And I was joking. I remember what the conversation was. We we're trying to figure out if Oregon could win a game against one of these top teams. Um, but his point, I think, is right in terms of the reason it's hard to suggest Oregon would win these games is less about maybe the offense and more about the defense right now, which is surprising. Right? I think I don't think either of us expected two weeks into the season to be saying that. I mean, I've done my weekly grades now two consecutive weeks in both weeks pretty easily was like offense played better. Yeah. The defense has had moments and I think they've gotten better in the second half as the entire team has. It's been slow starts so far. Hopefully they correct that this weekend against UCLA, but the defense hasn't played very well at times. And I think, I think one of the big elements here is just like more opportunity and reps from a tackling perspective. Like I was stunned with how many tackles they missed, especially against Washington state early in that game. I mean, just, just like routine, like four guys around the ball and somehow Deion McIntosh breaks through it and he's 12 yards upfield. Or it's a short pass to, you know, Travell Harris or Renard Bell and they make two or three guys miss in their upfield. I know those guys are all slippery athletes. Those were words that Cristobal used leading up to the game. But, like, I, I was pretty disappointed. I think most who watched were with just the, the amount of missed tackles. Um, I know Mario Cristobal and Andy Abelos both commented that as well. Um, so I think that will get better over time. I think you can throw the same thing in from a forcing turnovers perspective. That was a question I asked, and I got a couple. I got a piece up on the site from from Monday about kind of what needs to take place to force more turnovers. And, and both Cristobal and Avalos has just suggested it comes down to tackling better and be more fundamental from a pass defense perspective in terms of your footwork and your eye discipline, et cetera, et cetera. I expect they'll start to force more turnovers. To me, the other thing maybe Matt disagrees in terms of what's been the most surprising element here is just they need to get after the quarterback. And that was actually another part of what Andy Avalos said in terms of forcing more turnovers. That was, it starts with putting pressure on the quarterback and Oregon just hasn't done a good enough job there. And when you have a team that has a Kayvon Thibodeau on it and an Adrian Jackson or a Mace Funa or even an Austin Fallu, uh, my expectation was that they would have at least, at least four or five sacks right now, but we're two games in and they have one. And that was by Noah Sewell. So I, I think those are the areas that needs to be improved upon tackling in space, forcing turnovers and getting after the quarterback. I think they'll get there, but 
like like we've kind of established, it also feels like if they can't make those improvements, it's going to be really hard for them to really make a push at anything significant this year. I think for me, um, you go back to 2019 and look at the tackles for loss. They were one of the better teams nationally in that regard. They were 21st in the country. Um, and if I scoop this real quick, yeah, they were, they were tops in the Pac-12 and tackles for loss. And they averaged almost seven tackles per loss that season. And if you look at Oregon now, they're 120th at 3.5. I, 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 sacks will come if, but I, 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 I think sacks are always a big deal. But it's, I look at this more as tackles for loss because are you blowing up the line of scrimmage on pass plays and are you blowing, blowing up the line of scrimmage on run plays and really controlling the line of scrimmage here? And I do think part of that number is skewed to the two opponents that they've played. Stanford was very quick about getting the ball out. They very rarely did they hold the ball for a long period of time to allow Oregon to even get to them. Um, And then with the air raid, uh, they held it a little bit longer than a typical Washington state team under leech because uh, the, the run and shoot is different than the air raid. But I also think that, you know, they were also concise and smart about, Hey, let's roll out Jaden DeLora um, if we're going to hold on to, if we're going to th- do a long developing pass play, let's kind of roll them out a little bit and elude the, uh, the, the pass rush. But I think you're right. Like they need to generate something. They need to get to the quarterback and maybe that's inexperience in the linebacker position. Maybe that's lack of depth uh, of the explosive athlete type. You know, there's KT and then who else um, right. Right. from an Oregon perspective. Uh, maybe this is the, the, the effects of, of a Popo Amave not being able to play because uh, look, we all love Jordan Scott. We all know Jordan Scott is a really good defensive tackle uh, and a really good player here. But if, if you're playing a team that's going to throw the ball a lot, he's not the guy you want in there at defensive tackle because he's not as, as mobile as, you know, a Popo Amave is. And I'm sure Popo is probably a better option than a Brandon Dorless is at the nose tackle spot right now. I think Popo coming back this week is maybe a little underrated. Um, yeah. And we should note Cristobal on Monday did note or did say that they're he expecting Popo available. to play. And that I think is significant. It's not going to fix all the issues, but you're right in terms of, and as much weight as Jordan has cut and everybody says he's really explosive. He, he just, from a physical perspective, is a little different than a Popo. Popo and Popo's leaned out too. And so I'm, I'm expecting him to make some contributions in that area. And I don't think it's like fair to say it, the pass rush comes down to the backup nose tackle being, you know, being available and playing at eye level. But I, I do think depth there has been, I don't want to say lacking because I think they've got some good young players, but it is young players. It's all like red shirt freshmen and, and true sophomores. So I'll be curious to see the, the implications there. And I think really, if they can't force turnovers against UCLA this week, who by the way, like Oregon have, have turned it over five times. They've had five giveaways, just like the ducks then I'm going to be kind of like, and I know like Andy Avalos and Mario Cristobal both can kind of like, it, there's a lot of not luck involved, but kind of the wall has to break your way. But like, if they can't, if they come three games into the season and that's halfway through this short and regular season without a single turnover forced, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I, the concern is the right word, but that's just kind of alarming really. I mean, this is a team that forced almost two a game last year and for them to not do it at all for three games. Certainly that would raise my eyebrows. I'll put it that way. So yeah, um, 
Oregon <laughs> is the only is the only team that's or I guess Arizona too. Oregon and Arizona are the, are the two teams in the conference that haven't forced a turnover. UCLA has forced one in their two games. Um, UCLA has lost five. Oregon has lost five. They're they're both total for the worst in the conference. So I mean, you you look at this and think both these defenses should be looking at their opponent and saying they turn the ball over quite often and we have an opportunity to make plays and, and, and get it back. And it's going to be interesting to see which one buckles and, and which one, you know, bows up and, and doesn't turn the ball over. All right. That's going to do it for us for the first half of the show. We, we're going to take a quick break, come back and finish up this mailbag with three more questions. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is with me as always, and we're three questions in halfway through this week's mailbag. Fourth comes from at Colton underscore B underscore 11. And I'm, this is a good question here, I think. With a field goal not being converted yet this year, do you see them game planning to go for it on fourth down more often unless it's a chip shot? And he writes in parentheses, even though – those haven't been hit yet. Hashtag Odds and Again, thank you for – I believe we had almost a, a, a 100% clip rate for using the hashtag Odds and Audibles. Appreciate that. It does make it a lot easier for me to find it. Um, I think it's a good question, Colton. I know we spoke earlier this week on Monday's show just about – and one of my biggest concerns is, is in the kicking game. Um, Camden Lewis just hasn't been good enough yet. And the two games in, he's missed two field goals. And, you know – Let's put, I, mean, I think like, like if you just take it objectively, and I know it's not the same thing because it's professional versus college, but if Camden Lewis was the, the place kicker for the Arizona Cardinals and he missed two field goals in two games of that distance, he'd probably be on the chopping block coming into this game of like, if he can't hit a field goal, they're going to find somebody else. And it's different because you don't pull scholarships, certainly midseason. Um, but like, I, I think there, it's really a, a and you know, we're going to talk to Mario Cristobal again this week and we'll, we'll get some more clarity on this, but I, 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 I think they need to see improvements here. And I don't know if you can say the game plan is going to change, but I do wonder if like it's fourth and two at the 18 yard line and, and you know, and, and the, and the score is, let's just say it's a tie game and you have a chance to go ahead by three. Like I'm not going to be surprised if they go, Hey, let's just see if we can punch it up the middle with CJ Verdell through this defense rather than putting Lewis out there because they've kicked field goals from about that distance and they've missed them, you know? And, and, and again, I, it's small sample size, but it's also not because he's played a full season last year, part of the season this year. And he's just been, he's been shaky throughout. And I thought there were improvements. We should know towards the end of last season, he made three field goals against Washington state, including a game winner. He made three field goals against Utah in the conference championship game, three for three in both games. I think he made like six of his last seven kicks or something last year. So it seemed like there was a better trajectory, but certainly has not been encouraging to start. Um, what do you think, Matt? Like, do, do you think this is going to change? Yeah, it's a big concern. How they approach? I, I, I mean, you weren't there, um, but I, I said to James Carpia, the Oregonian, up in Pullman, when they trotted out Camden Lewis in that second half on the first drive to attempt the field goal, and I before they even lined up to kick to, to make the kick, I just haphazardly go they're gonna miss it like like i i had zero confidence that oregon was gonna make that field goal and like you said you don't want to just bang on the kid and and rag on him because look this is college athletics this isn't nfl 
but at, the, at, at some point there becomes a point in time where it's just like, look, the reality is Cameron Lewis is very inconsistent as a kicker. Mm-hmm. And he, he feels like a guy when it's 30 and in, he's probably going to make it. But when it's beyond 30 yards, it's almost, boy, it's, it's helter skelter. And then when it gets to 40, I, I almost have zero, I have zero confidence that, that he will make it. I, it's almost like automatic for me. Um, and it's gotten to the point now, Eric, where I wonder like, why not try somebody else in a game? Why not see what you have with a Henry Cattleman um, or someone, some other kicker that you have on the roster? Because look, it's there's going to be a situation in which you know field goals keep you in games or win you games, and you're going to come into a situation. Every game isn't going to that you need a, a kick to win isn't going to result in you getting to the ten yard line or whatever it was last year against Washington State for the chip shot. Like that's just not going to be possible, um, and. I, it just feels like you need to know what you have behind Camden Lewis because maybe maybe someone is waiting in the wings that can give you that 35-yard field goal on a consistent basis, that can make the 45-yard field goal you know, on a consistent basis, and that changes how you approach everything because if, if, if all you do is you roll with Cam, you don't really know what, what you have, and you may be forced to go for it on fourth down when you're at the 33-yard line or the 38-yard line when you could kick a field goal and, and get three points. Um, I think before you decide, hey, let's go for it every time we're at, you know, this this yard line. Let's let's more so figure out: Do you have someone else on the roster that could could uh, you know make these long kicks? The two names to know: You mentioned one of them, Henry Cattleman, who was a walk on. He was on last year's team, and then they also recruited Harrison Beatty, who's um, a true freshman walk on. Who was a, like a, they actively wanted to bring him. He's from Maryland. Was one considered one of the top prep kickers nationally, and somebody who also punts, but like, those are the names to know. And I, 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 I'm with you, Matt, in terms of like, it's gotten to this point here where when, when, when does the conversation become real of like, is this just not going to work out? Like I, I, and I think you're kind I mean, I feel like we've almost reached that impasse right now. And I, gosh, I'm again, I predicted on Monday, my five predictions story, you can go read that on the site. It's a VIP story. So there's another opportunity. I mean, I guess I'm giving you a one fifth of VIP part here, but was just I'm putting into the universe. I hope Camden Lewis. I, I predicted he's going to make two field goals or more this week, and be, and part of that is not that I don't want Oregon to score touchdowns, but I just it would feel I think everybody would feel a lot better if you could see him consistently hit some kicks, um, and certainly hit kicks within the red zone. Like if you can't, you're handcuffing yourself so much if you can't consistently make kicks from 37 and in. And he's now missed two kicks from 37 yards. First one wasn't very close. Again, it sounded weird. Second one, he pushed slightly right, but like. It's, it's not great. It's not great when those of us like Matt and I who follow this team closer than basically anybody else are when he trots out there going like, he's probably going to miss. Um, that kind of tells you all you need to know. So I, I think, yeah, I think it's a real concern. And, and my hope is that they get this sorted out. And I'm with Matt. Like, I'm also at the point here where if he continues to struggle, like they, they need to really take a hard look at trying one of these walk-on kickers. All right, fifth question from at Jeff Brosey. We're by now very familiar with the awesome receiver and O-line classes the Ducks have verbal commitments from in 2021, as well as five-star commit Ty Thompson. He looks to be the real deal. But what big names are they pursuing at running back in 2022 and 2023? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. 
Um, we should note in 2021, they do have a verbal commitment from four-star Seven McGee, who is, I think, probably like Travis Dye-ish, Jalen Red-ish in terms of like size and skill set. Not He's not a big bruising back. He's quick in space, makes the players miss. I know he has said he kind of compliments his game after DeAnthony Thomas. I was say he's a lot more electric. Than, than some of those other guys. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so so it's gonna be interesting to see how he's utilized. But 2022, 23, I think good point. Like those feel like classes where Oregon will need to take at least one running back in, right? Matt, and, and I I know there are some good running backs out west in those classes, particularly in, in 2022 with I think it's uh Gavin Sawchuk. I'm I'm not sure on the pronunciation. Yeah, Gavin Gavin Sawchuk is probably their their best bet. Um but from like from landing one of the two five stars that they've offered, there's two out west um, five stars, Relic Brown from Matter Day High School, um, 25th best player in the country, and you know they're in there. They're they're a school that that's recruiting him, but Oklahoma is kind of the program that's really emerged early on. And then Gavin Sachuk is from Colorado. He's been on Oregon's campus multiple times. Um, but again, Oklahoma has kind of sinked their teeth in there a little bit early on. Um, they had a commitment at one point from Jaden Ott from Bishop uh, Gorman High School in Las Vegas. Uh, he has since backed off that verbal commitment. They're still recruiting him. Um, Javante Barnes is another running back from Vegas that you know really likes Oregon and Oregon's interested in. Um, Dalton Hayden is a running back from Memphis, the Tennessee area. Um, I know Damari Alston from Georgia is extremely high on Oregon as well. Um, and then you can look at you know, some of the lower rated guys, uh, Jalen Thompson, Quan Adams, uh, and, and also Jabari Bates. But I, I look at this, Eric, and think 20, it's a long ways out, 2022. But you just look at the depth that Oregon has on this depth chart for the 2021 20, and eventually the 2022 season, like at running back, let's just get this out of the way. I don't think this happens, but in theory, every single guy on the roster could be back next year in their current capacity of, of, a, of a roster uh, eligibility standpoint. Like if Verdell really wanted to, he could come back in 2021 and be a junior. Same thing for Travis Dye. Same thing for Cyrus Avila Keo. You know, I, I think for Dye and Cyrus, that makes a lot of sense of coming back as juniors in 2021 because of what the NCAA is doing. It doesn't make any sense for, for Verdell. I think this is his last year, but even then you have Sean dollars, you have Javon Wilson, you have Trey Benson all on roster and all three of those guys, dollars, Wilson and Benson are all freshmen and they'll all be freshmen again in 2021. And there's no reason for any of those guys to skip a year. And so I look at this now you add seven McGee, who will be a, who will be a freshman in 2021 and I look I look at the 2022 class and think if I'm a running back why if, and I'm one of the best players in the country why do I go to the Oregon backfield right now like it's completely loaded yeah, I don't disagree I, mean, I, I kind of think the future and let's remove CJ Travis and Cyrus from the equation because we kind of know what those guys are but I think the future like long-term running back and it could be by 2022. It could be 2023, even like if you said, if these players use that extra year of eligibility in 21 and 22, um, that, that this player needs to step up. But like, I think between Sean Dollars and Trey Benson, one of those guys is going to be the next, the next dude at running back. That's my prediction. I feel pretty confident with that. 
I'd love to see one of these guys get some snaps. I know I think Sean Dollars had one rush against Stanford, and it was like a three-yard loss. Don't think it was his fault. It looked like the defense just kind of saw what was coming because he was on the field and probably figured, hey, that guy's not out here very much. I wonder if they're going to give him the ball in space, and then they went and blew up the play. Um, but like, I think between those two guys, and I don't want to completely ostracize Javon Wilson and say he's not going to factor into this, but his name just hasn't been brought up right. quite the same glowing terms as the other two guys we just mentioned. I think between one of those two guys, Oregon's going to have something pretty special. And it might just be a combination of those two. I mean, I, I, I actually think it seems like it's best for Oregon. And you didn't, and, and you've seen this basically throughout the years, kind of with the exception of when Royce Freeman was here because he was really the bell cow guy. But like you always had Michael James and Kenyon Barner, and now you have CJ Verdell and Travis Dye and sometimes Cyrus Abibi Likio in a, in a kind of a goal line role and sometimes a more ex- expanded role when it calls for it. I think you could see a Trey Benson and Sean Dollars and probably a Seven McGee in some capacity too, and feel pretty good about that being kind of the rotation at running back for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future until 24 and beyond. So, um, like, do I think Oregon would love to go out and find a game breaker and one of these five stars that Matt was, run, you know, referencing earlier? Absolutely. But do I think they're going to be in pretty decent shape if that doesn't happen? Yeah, I do. All right, last question here from at Duck Your Opinion. And by the way, why would you name – I don't know, like do you, you do not care about our opinion? I don't know. He's asking a question here, but he's kind of – his name sort of indicates he doesn't. <laughs> um, which freshman will stand out for Kelly Graves and company? Hashtag odds and audibles. This is a timely question in part because Kelly Graves was literally asked this question verbatim. Not by me, by the way. I wish it was me, because but, but, but on a Tuesday's virtual Pac-12 media day and gave a very specific – very direct answer and says it's Tahina Pow Pow, the freshman, former five-star guard, and they're all five stars. So like, I guess that doesn't even need to be included, but it's worth noting. Number 11th ranked player in the country by ESPN probably would have been higher than that if she hadn't been hurt her junior year when I think a lot of these rankings kind of are comp- comprised. Legitimate national champion, national player of the year candidate out of high school last year, one of the finalists for that. Um, here's a quote from Kelly Graves from Tuesday when he was asked literally that exact same question, he says, the one that has been most consistent for us and has a, and really has a chance to be a star is Tahina Pow Pow. I think she's really solidified herself as our top guard. Hopefully we have another Sabrina Ruthie combination with Tahina and Sedona. Um, the, fa- the fact that he's already calling a true freshman, the team's top guard. First off, you'd never hear Dana Altman say anything like that about a freshman. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> even if it was like the number one player in the country, even when Bull Bull was here, the yeah. only thing, the only the real quick, the only time Dan ever did this was when they signed Bull Bull and he said he was asked about one and duns and getting him ready. And, and he said, well, we'll have to get him ready for class and it's probably not really going to be picking a major. So maybe more like financing some things that he can pick up on before he's gone because he's not going to be here for, for more than a year. Like that was like the only <laughs> time he's ever come out and said like, yeah, this guy's going to be really good. Uh, but coach, I, I, I mean, I, I was—I shouldn't say I was surprised because of the Oregon's primary coaches, and if we're just saying primary, and we don't have to—I don't want to like single out the smaller sports, but I, sh- I just did by calling them smaller sports. Gosh, look at me! <laughs> not winning, not, not <laughs> i shouldn't be a politician. I just keep—I just keep diminishing these programs by accident. <laughs> Sorry, Missy. Um, but like between Coach Graves, Coach Altman, and, and Coach Cristobal, I think Graves would be the first one to like really, you know, really praise a player who we haven't seen. He's done it a ton with, C- with Sedona already. And, and we should note, Tuesday was also the um, Pac-12 media day from a, they announced the all-conference preseason teams. Prince was one of two players 
from Oregon on there along with Aaron Bully. She gets that honor without having played a minute for Oregon. I thought that was pretty notable, kind of tips your cap to how highly people think of her. But it's pretty notable that he would say, not only is Tahina Pau the freshman that they think the highest of, but that she's already, and she's solidified herself as the team's top guard. <laughs> like, I took that and went like, okay, they're expecting some big stuff out of here. And I've, I've heard that, you know, independently or off the record from some people. And this is not like breaking news, but when your coach comes out and says, and we should know like roughly a week before the season starts, but we still don't know who their first opponent is. We just know they play on the 28th. Um, and I've done some digging on that and they are not going to release the schedule until there are a couple of uh, contracts finalized. Um, so I don't know exactly when that's going to be hopefully sometime this week, but when he comes out and says that in this point of the year, that Pow Pow is already the team's best guard. And it's a team that includes, by the way, three guards that were on the honorable mention, all pack 12 preseason team in Taylor Chavez, Taylor, Mike Sell, and jazz Shelley. And Mike Sell was like all conference big 10 last year. Taylor Chavez was the pack 12, sixth player of the year. And Jazz Shelley was really great last year as a true freshman as well. When he's already saying Pow Pow's the team's best guard, like that moves the needle for me quite a bit. So um, going to be really fun to see her play and her develop this year when the team starts its season. And if I guess he did say freshman, so a couple others to note here. I also have heard quite a bit of positive things about Angela Duglich. Don't expect any of the other freshmen are really going to start. I think Pow Pow, it sounds like probably will if she's already the top guard on the team. But I think Dugulich is probably the one along with Sydney Parrish that I go, they're probably going to play quite a role off the bench. I think you're going to see a lot of them play early, but those are, the, those are probably the three pow, pow, Dugulich um, and Sydney Parrish that I'm expecting to over the course of the season, probably be the most impressive of the, of the five, five-star freshmen of the fab five they're bringing in. I'm sure they're all, I know they're all really talented, but those are the three that kind of jump out to me. Pow, pow being named so high is surprising because I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but three months ago when or two months ago, if, if you or even now, if, if you had said we're going to starting lineup at, at the guard positions uh, in some kind of combination, we're going to be Jazz Shelley, Taylor Chavez and um, uh, Taylor Mike Sell, like it would have been automatic. Like, oh, yeah, of course, like that. Those are going to be your three starting guards. Like, like there's no really even a doubt about that. Um, and so that tells me one of those three probably isn't going to start. Oh yeah. No, they can't. And, and a, that means pow pow is either really good. Um, or B maybe one of those three players isn't as, uh, maybe hasn't developed as quickly as, as hoped or, or combination of both. I think it's the former. And I will say like, I, even before she got on campus had heard from a few people that would know that the expectation was she was going to be potentially like a the next superstar in the program along with Sedona like that was where the two people that the two players that I'd heard from a couple of different people were they really high expectations for but I wasn't necessarily expecting this to be said of Pow Pow quite this early and I think you can now look at her and say and I know he made I mean the fact that I mean don't get lost in the fact that he also compared the possibility of Tahina and Sedona to Sabrina and Ruthie and think about how good that group that pairing was um you, you kind of these are the type of things you get excited hearing when you know when you're sitting in the media and listening to these things. And I know we posted the story on the, the message board yesterday, and we were I, myself. I was not the only one who was kind of like, "Oh wow, that is pretty significant information there." So again, the season, the first games on the 28th, we don't know who they're facing. It'll be at Matthew Knight Arena. Um, I also, I think I said this. I don't know if I wrote this in the message board or if I said this, but 
understanding is that these games, and I won't say who they're going to be against because I've, I've heard a couple of possibilities, but these, these aren't going to be against teams like really outside of driving distance from, from Eugene. So don't expect this to be like South Carolina showing up on the 28th or something. It's going to be probably a game Oregon's going to win by quite a lot against a school that's pretty close in proximity. Are you aware, Eric, that you and I both in a week's time will be covering basketball games as well? Has that hit yeah. you yet? Um, yeah. It did yes, not hit me until we were on this podcast when um, I saw something else through Twitter um, scroll through of such and such is playing such and such next week. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. basketball. It, it's, it's here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, it's like, I think I know, like intellectually, I know that, but then I'm also like, we're so consumed with football um, yeah. that it's like, oh gosh. And like, we should know, like, this is about the same time basketball is usually starting, but the fact that but football the fact so that late, Oregon's only played two games. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's, it feels really weird. Like, we feel like the season's barely started for football and then we're going to be starting basketball. And again, like, the day after Oregon, Oregon State in the football game is Oregon women's first game. And I believe also the Oregon men's first game, Matt, is that? I, if I'm correct, I think Oregon opens the season and this is so weird too, is we don't even know like the actual season, um, Oregon, uh, I guess schedule yet. Uh, the only dates that we know from the men's perspective, they open the season, uh, November 25th at home against Eastern Washington. And then they play on the road in Seattle, uh, December 12th and then December 23rd, uh, they play at home two days before Christmas against UCLA. Those are the three games I know on the record guaranteed for the University of Oregon's men's basketball program. They are playing, um, I think, like December 2nd and December 3rd. Uh, they're playing back east in the Gavit games uh, or the Mohegan Sun. It's like a bubble that's being created on a casino, um, on a, I, I believe, a, an Indian tribes facility. Um in the Connecticut area, they're playing Missouri and they're playing Virginia tech and that, but like that was announced with the tentative agreement that they're trying to find a fourth opponent. Yeah. The scheduling part's crazy. Cause literally we're recording this right now and we're talking about the season starts next week. Uh, I don't know who Oregon plays on the 28th. Well, I'm not going to say who I've been told, but it's not official yet. So I don't want to say it. Um, and I don't, <laughs> there's not much else out there. And I, I mean, and the back 12 did release, you can go check us out on Duck Weekend dates. They've, the weekend dates of the Pac-12 games, but we don't know exactly the times or which game is first, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, from a scheduling perspective, it has never felt so scattered. And I think that's also part of it, Matt, of, like, we're talking about, has it sunk in that basketball starting soon? Well, the reality is, is that, like, I know it's coming, but I don't have, like, actual information of, like, who they're playing on which dates, so it doesn't feel like it's totally in existence yet. Like, it kind well, of feels like I don't like want to go too far down... I don't want to go too far on the rabbit hole, but Rick Patino, and this is the weirdest time ever that I've ever agreed with him. Um, oh boy! But on the 14th of November, tweeted out, "Save the season, move the start back, play league schedule, and have made madness spiking in protocols make it impossible to play right now." He's currently the head coach of Iona's men's basketball program, a much smaller program. You may f- be familiar with that name. Morgan played them on the way to the Final Four, um, but. Like, honestly, it's kind of one of these deals where personally I'm like, okay, like in a week's time, will we even actually play the season on time? Because multiple schools across the country 
are delaying their starts. They're postponing games already because they're, you know, because of COVID outbreak, you know, situations. It's going to be a while. I think if if you're excited for basketball, be prepared for games to be canceled or postponed. If not, you know, just straight up canceled, just because spikes across the country are happening and restrictions are going down. I mean, Oregon, instead of Oregon, we're going into lockdown, uh, you know, for two weeks. Now athletics has been cleared to, to go and be approved you know, during that, but nonetheless, like it, it's happening across the country and if it, it's going to be even more frequent in college basketball than it is in college football. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the odds and audibles mailbag edition. Thank you again for sending in your questions. We really appreciate that using the hashtag odds and audibles is always a great way to get yourself uh, heard on this podcast. And as well, continue to tweet at Eric or post on the message board on duckterritory.com. And also remember, we're offering 50% off of VIP membership right now to duckterritory.com for an annual membership. So you get all of the football season, you get all of the basketball season, and that will run all the way through most of next year's college football season as well. So you're almost getting two years for one uh, by subscribing right now uh, to duckterritory.com, 50% off that annual membership. So you've been listening to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.